A few weeks ago, I was in a gathering of some friends, and uh, Danny Palmer asked me this question. She said, Monty, what are you going to miss the most about sunset? And then she said, but you can't say I'm going to miss the people. So I was like, well, that's going to make it hard. And, and, and it was a hard question, but I, I gave her uh, what I considered to be a quick and sincere answer. But I've had some time to ponder that more. I've been thinking about that for a while now, and I've been thinking about that for a few weeks in, in preparation for this, this last lesson. And so what, I, what I'd like to do right off here is I, I'd like to, to, to give Danny a better, a better answer. And if you, the rest of you want to listen in, that's okay. But before I do that, let, let me tell you what I'm not going to miss. First of all, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to miss being the Pope and minister. You see, after KLBK broadcast that interview and gave me the illustrious title as Pope Administer, um, the Swiss Guard of the Catholic Church have been looking for me, <laughs> and I've been in hiding, and so from this point forward, no, no more, I'm not even going to say it again. I'm not going to miss standing in front of a thousand plus people. And saying something that's completely wrong, embarrassingly wrong. Like the time that I stood in front of you and I announced that we had a young man, a young soldier in our auditorium who had just won the highest medal in the land for the military, had just won the Medal of Honor. The Congressional Medal of Honor, that one award that only a handful of people in the history of America has ever gotten it, and I announced that he was with us this morning, and that was completely wrong. He didn't win. He didn't win. He got a medal. He got a good medal. It was a good medal. But, but you stood, and you applauded him for winning a medal that he did not win. And as I looked at him, and I remember he was right back there, and I was watching, and I thought his face would be beaming, but he had this look on his face like, this is a bad, bad moment. <laughs> Later I found out, yeah, that, that's, that's not true. Let me, let me tell you, let me give you two words. Fact check. (laughs) 
Always check the facts. And as I think about it, I, I'm not going to miss text messages that I get like, like this one. That after I do the welcome and I'm sitting out there, all of a sudden I get a text message that says, hey, your mic is on. And that's not so bad, but some, some say, hey, your mic is on, either turn it off or stop singing. And that's Josh who sends, that's not, that's not true. There are a lot of things that I'm not going to miss. But there are, Danny and the rest of you, there are many things that I will miss. I'm going to miss sitting right down here on the front row in front of these amazing teens and listening to them sing their praises to God right in my ear. I'm going to miss that inspiration. I'm not going to miss the fact that most of those guys' bases are much deeper than mine. <laughs> but I am going to miss hearing them praise God the way they do. That inspires me. Thanks, guys. I'm going to miss your encouragement. Dinah and I both are going to miss all the kind words that you've said to us over these 12 plus years. All of the encouragement, all the support, all your patience in your love. I'm going to miss working with some of the most godly leaders and ministers that I've ever, ever known. I've been so incredibly blessed to have them pouring out their leadership and pouring out their giftedness into my life, and I'm going to miss that. And I'm going to miss sharing time together. I'm going to miss sharing in your joys, and I'm going to miss sharing in your sorrows. I'm going to miss sharing in your victories, and I'm going to miss sharing in your challenges as well because you have brought me into your families. You brought me into your lives. You brought me into your homes. And you've shared your walk of faith with me. And I've been inspired by watching you walk down some challenging roads. And keeping your faith in the Lord and praising God along the way. But as the lead minister here at Sunset, I will miss more than anything else, I will miss nudging you. You see, if, if you think back, you'll realize that on, in my outlines on the back of the bulletins, in every one of those outlines at the very bottom, the last word was encouragement. That I always wanted to get to the end and wanted to make sure that I was doing the best I could to encourage you 
And whatever particular spiritual aspect I'd been preaching on, whatever particular walk of faith that I was trying to highlight, I just wanted to encourage you. But you need to understand that in my mind, this idea of encouragement really is more about nudging, about humbly and, and carefully and lovingly and respectfully just urging you, urging me to continue to move onward and upward in our walk of faith. It, it was never meant to be a push. It, it was never meant to be a, 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 a hand with force. It was just meant to be that little nudge that I believed we all wanted to, to, to make anyhow. So this morning, today, as I go, please allow me, as your Pope and minister, <laughs> to nudge you one last time. Let me nudge you, first of all, to celebrate Jesus. And I know that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Because you are people of faith. You are, you're Jesus' people. And I know you're celebrating Jesus in, in, in all that he has done, all that he's doing, and all that he will do for you. I know you're, you're, you're celebrating Jesus every day, especially on days like this, in so many different ways. It's really strange for me to tell you to celebrate Jesus because I know that you are celebrating the fact that he came from heaven to earth and took on your burden and took on our sin and took on on our death so that we might have life and have it abundantly. I know you're thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. We celebrate that. I know that you are celebrating his unfathomable love all the time. That that he was one that even after all of the abuse and, and even after that, that betrayal that Chris was talking about and, and even after the beating and, 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 even after, and even after the nails, he still loved us enough to stay on the cross and die. For us. And I know that you, you celebrate his resurrection, especially on, on, on Sundays. I know Easter is coming. I, I know that you celebrate his resurrection from the dead because that is the linchpin, is the key, it is the central thing. His resurrection is the crux of our very faith and our hope and our assurances and all the promises of God. It's that resurrection that proved 
that he was indeed the very Son of God who had power over life and over death. And I know we celebrate that in our lives. We celebrate that he ascended back into heaven and he sits enthroned over his church and he reigns as the Lord of lords and kings of, King of kings and intercedes on our behalf. And I know you celebrate the fact as you look to the future that you know one day the skies will open and our Jesus with his angels will descend and will carry away the saints who have put their faith in him. We celebrate those things. You celebrate those things. I celebrate those things all the time. We celebrate what he did back there in history. We're celebrating still what he, he, he's doing up there in heaven. But here's what I want you to, uh, you need to understand is that in, in my 30 plus years in ministry, over three decades, I have encountered too many Christians who are struggling to celebrate Jesus right here. Struggling to celebrate Jesus within themselves. You see, what happens, what happens is, is they get it in their mind that, that this, this fleshly facade that we wear around, that has so many failings and so much impurity and imperfection, we get it in our mind that this is the image that God is looking at when he looks at you and he looks at me. And, and, and we draw this conclusion because he's looking at that and he's focusing on that, surely he must be constantly disappointed in me. Surely he must be constantly uh, uh, disheartened by my failings that are so, so frequent. And then as we believe that that's what he's seeing, that's the image of us that he's looking at, when we take that to heart, it ends up causing us to feel ashamed within ourselves. Or it causes us to, to, to feel uncertain about his never-failing love for us. Or it even causes us to be fearful of the eternity to come because we just can't believe that Jesus looks beyond our flesh. And the deeds that we do in it. So this morning. Let me nudge you just a little. And encourage you. If you're not. To celebrate. The glory of Jesus. That radiates in your life. Each and every day. You see, Paul is, he's writing to the Corinthians. 
And he's been talking to them about this change, this new covenant, the difference between the covenant of the law and the covenant of grace that has come in Jesus Christ. He, he ends up and he sort of brings it all together for them. And, and, and there's so much good in there and I wish I had time. But he brings it to this head and he says, but we all, listen, but we all with unveiled face behold or beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We now can see within ourselves the very glory of, uh, of Jesus, the glory that he brought into our lives and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You see, what we're understanding and what Paul wants them to see and understand is that their, no, their, their identity and their, uh, 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 how they, they're no longer identified and they're no longer defined by the law, that looks at them and condemns them and, 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 and says they're unworthy because of their inability to keep that law perfectly, that's not who they are anymore. They have the glory of Jesus. They are now those who are, are identified and defined by His grace, the one who has graced us with the glory that outshines all the fleshly, spiritual imperfections in our lives. That is what our Father sees in us. He sees the glory of Jesus. He, we in Jesus, we, we radiate. Do you understand that we radiate the justification, because of our faith, we radiate the justification of Jesus' blood that provides us with perfect reconciliation and perfect sal salvation. And it has nothing to do with us. Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And you see, we are now in Christ, we're radiating His righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus that came as a result of his obedience to the Father and not ours. You see, we're radiating the glory of his holiness and his, his blamelessness. The holiness and the blamelessness of Jesus before God according to his choosing, not according to our choosing. And so, as as heaven, as our Father looks down upon us, and I know we're struggling sometimes with seeing ourselves in that way, but the truth is, is that I'm encouraging and I'm nudging us this morning to continue to walk by faith. And it's through the eyes of faith now that we can see the glory of Jesus in Him, and then we can celebrate that. We can live joyfully. We can live purposefully. We can live thankfully. We can live confidently knowing that Jesus is in us. And because of that, He always outshines your weakness.
He always outshines my failings. And He always gives us the assurance of God's saving love. God's saving love. I want to nudge you in another area. I want to nudge you to breathe deeper. My wife's always telling me, breathe deeper, breathe deeper. So I'm going to nudge you a little bit. She's pushy, but I'm going to nudge you. You know, as churches of Christ, we have this positive uh, reputation, historical reputation. And that reputation, and, and maybe you've heard it, I hope you have. And the reputation is, is that we are people of the word. Have you heard that? That we're, we're people of the word. And the reason why we have that reputation is because our, our preachers, our ministers, are, 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 are always bringing their messages out of God's word. And, and we're, we're so dedicated to having Bible classes several times a week in order to continue to, to dig deeper and to see God's Word and, and, and who God is and what God's wanting for our lives. And when it comes to matters of faith and it comes to matters of doctrine, we're always going back to God's Word and we're looking to see, in fact, what it is that we should be and do and how we should think and how we should conduct our lives and, and, and who we are as a church. We're always back here. And it's because of that we've had this historical reputation of people being a people of the word and I pray that that's still our reputation today and will be our reputation in the future but when I think about that I, I also pray That being people the word doesn't simply mean that we're people who are reading words from a page. But being people of the word means we're people who are taking in the very breath of God. For we know that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so what I'm talking about, instead of just being people who are turning through the pages and, and, and looking at the words that are there and just understanding the words, but we're actually people that believe this is the very breath of God and that we take it in and we allow it to supersaturate our spiritual lives and we allow it to transform us into the people that God wants us to be and those who are growing to the measure, the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ and that, and that what God has breathed into us is going to come out of us in godly ways. That's, that's what I think being people of the Word needs to really be about. Is that we let God breathe into us and create life transform, transformation within us. And so I, I, I'm nudging us here this morning I'm nudging us to, to, to 
inhale and to exhale. I, I want us to, to inhale again the love of God. Inhale for a moment. Just inhale the agape love. Think about it. A love that is without any ounce of prejudice. Inhale. A love that knows no hate. A love that's willing to sacrifice all for the good of each one of us. Inhale that in. But then, once it saturates our spiritual lungs, now breathe it out. Take in the breath of God and then breathe it out. Exhale it and allow that to be your love. You've taken in his love into your lungs and, 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 and breathe out that type of love into the, life of the lives of the people around you. Make God's love your love. Breathe it out. Inhale his seven times 70 forgiveness. When you see that great forgiveness of God throughout the pages of Scripture, the forgiveness of Jesus, even when people betray Him, when you see that kind of forgiveness, inhale it. And let it saturate your loves with that same spirit of forgiveness so that you can breathe it out into the lives of the people who betrayed you and hurt you the most. Inhale the purity of Jesus, who although tempted in all ways, even as we are, yet without sin. Breathe that into your lungs. And then make it your purpose to breathe out the same purity in all of your attitudes, and all of my actions as well. Breathe in. Breathe in his desire to save. Breathe in how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Breathe that in. Breathe in that God doesn't want anyone to perish but come to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. Breathe that in. And then breathe out the gospel in your own life. Breathe the good news of Jesus into the face of a lost and dying world. You see, what I'm nudging us is that as we go through this word, that we're just not reading the words, but we're taking in God, and then we're breathing out 
God for his glory and for the grace and blessings of others around us. The last thing. The last nudge. Touch the hurting. If you walk with Jesus through the Gospels, you will walk with Jesus through the land of the hurting. You'll, you'll, you'll see him touch. You'll see him pray for. You'll see him lovingly speak to and care for those who are sick. And, and those who are lonely. For those who are impoverished and those who have experienced tragedy and those who have demons. And you'll see him touch those who are hurting even because of their own silly, silly mistakes. And so this morning, as his disciples, yeah, I'm nudging us to touch the hurting, to touch the hurting too, just like our Lord. And maybe you've, you, you're thinking or you've thought some thoughts like I've thought, let's see if this is right. Have you ever thought this thought, well, Man, if I had the power of Jesus, I would be a lot more eager to get out there and touch the hurting people. If I could do those miracles, if I could heal, and if I could raise it, if I had that power, man, I would be out there touching everybody. But understand this. Jesus didn't touch the hurting because... He had power. He touched the hurting because he had compassion. Before he ever exhibited any power among the lives of the hurting, it was compassion that was leading him. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36 that it was because of Jesus' compassion that he touched the people who were distressed and dispirited because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it's interesting how he touches them there. He doesn't touch them with his hands, but he looks to his disciples and he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will bring forth workers. He touched them. And, and then again in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32, he, he, we see that after days of following behind Jesus, he, he touched the people who were hungry and he provided them with the food that they needed. And in Mark chapter 1 and verses 40 through 42, Mark tells us that he touched, he touched a man with leprosy, with a hand, with a hand that made him clean again. And then in Luke chapter 7, verses 12 and following, he touched a coffin. 
of a son who had died. Helping a hurting mother whose heart had been broken. You see, wherever Jesus went, He was always touching the hurting. They were always there. He was always blessing them in every way that he could. Maybe you'll recognize these two slides. In our congregational survey, in your congregational survey, that assessment that we've been talking about, you as a congregation, among a couple of other things, said, is this right, Bill? You said, we want to be a church that t- touches the hurting. And, and you said, we, we want uh, some uh, priorities and we aspire to be a church that is working to, to, to touch those who have been broken by life circumstances. And we want to be out there and we want to be touching those who are living on the margins of society. We want to be a church that touches hurting people. But and I'm thankful for that. Bill said, we're, the elders are thankful for that. I'm so, but you have to understand that touching the hurting is not a church thing. Touching the hurting is a you thing. And it's a me thing. You must, and I must, have a compassion that touches others with food and with drink and with hospitality and clothing and visitation. And remember what Jesus says, as you do those things, you'll actually be touching your Jesus. Matthew chapter 25. Verses 35 through 40. It, it's with compassion that we need to be touching others by weeping with those who weep. Romans 12. And by visiting the orphans and the widows in their distress. James 1.27. But you see, it's with our compassion that we're able to touch those in sorrow with our hugs. We're able to touch those who are sick with our prayers, with our cards. We're able to touch, out of compassion, those who are so, so very lonely with a visit or with a call. So many hurting in and outside of sunset. And it's compassion that leads us to touch them. And, and, and above all, it's going to be our compassion that leads us to touch the lost with the kindness of Jesus. Right there. To touch the lost with the kindness of Jesus who has the power to save their soul. As I go, 
as I go. Understand that I'm not really waving goodbye. I'm actually nudging. Gently, humbly, respectfully. Nudging you and nudging me. Onward and upward in our walk of faith so that we might glorify God and bless others around us. If you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, can I nudge you? Can I encourage you not to wait another day? Drink in all of those things that we've been talking about. Make your life a life that radiates all of His goodness, His forgiveness of sins. If you haven't confessed Him and been baptized, let me nudge you one more time. Do it today while we stand and while we sing.